So I started off this morning with a reference to televangelist Joel Olstein. What I didn't tell you is that Joel and I are in a spiritual war with one another. Um, he does not know that, but um, in my mind, we are uh, arch enemies. Before I worked at St. Martin's in Houston, I ha- uh, was privileged to work as a full-time hospital chaplain in the med center, um, and it was an amazing job. But the worst part of it was Joel Olstein. Um, because here's the thing about Joel. He actively denies people a merciful rest, especially in hospitals where everyone is laying in bed with a television. Um, He regularly preaches that God will give you the life that you want if you want it badly enough, right? God will give you the stuff you want if you want that stuff badly enough. So here's some of his favorite sayings. Do all you can to make your dreams come true just like the gospel. Um, (laughs) God wants us to prosper financially, and if that wasn't clear, to have plenty of money, to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill the destiny he has laid out for us. And this is my most favorite because this is like, I feel like he's speaking right to me. Um, If you cannot be positive, then at least be quiet. (laughs) I'm showing him I'm not. Um, So... So while these might be things to post on the internet, they are thinly veiled ways to tell people that rest is not an option that we get from God. But earning and making and demanding are the ways that we get God to notice us. So I came to know this destructive theology intimately at my hospital because Joel Olstein's church, Lakewood, would send lay pastoral visitors to come visit people in the hospital rooms who attended Lakewood. They were like an army of bad news under the guises of good. Because all of this you can earn the blessings you want theology works out okay if you're healthy, wealthy, and wise. But if you're not, it will kill you. So these folks from Lakewood would roll in and stand over the beds of sick believers and say, Sister, it's terrible you still have cancer. I guess you haven't prayed hard enough, right? Brother, you know God will come through for you on this if you just want it. Were I not an ordained priest, I would have knocked these fools out with a cafeteria tray. It was like dreams I would have where I would go after the pastoral visitors from Lakewood. Because they were called to speak peace, to console the dying and the sick, which I think is the most privileged work somebody can do. They were called to bring mercy and rest to the brokenhearted. And instead, they showed up at the hospital and told people, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will make you more tired. But we know that's not what that passage says, right? So Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love this passage, as I'm sure you do, and I cling to it. But it is what follows, for me, that 
is what says so much about Jesus and the merciful rest that we've been given. So I'm going to read this passage to you, but I always like to think of this passage, did any of you watch Designing Women like 20 years ago? That was like my show. Um, And I feel like this is like a Julia Sugarbaker moment for Jesus. So this is uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. So at, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that the priest on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had not known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is out with his friends in the field, and they are hungry. And there are the Pharisees, right, ready to lay down some rules. They tell Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath. And basically what they're saying to Jesus is, your people are not resting right, right? So Jesus tells them in my head, um, look, yahoos, I know the rules. I am the rule now, right? He tells us, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the ruler of rest. And I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So how about that for a law? So I always read the gospel, and I'm like, yeah, Jesus, give it to those Pharisees, right? Show them what's up. And then I take, like, an awkward moment where I realize that, like, for much of my life, I'm team Pharisee. um, Because we continue to want rules around rest, even knowing all this, even knowing the scripture. Because especially in this culture, we can claim control over it. We don't want to surrender to Jesus and the rest that he offers us. Because what does Jesus say about rest? He says mercy and not sacrifice. That is crazy talk, right? We like sacrifice. Mercy is out of our hands, right? Sacrifice means we get to control. We get to decide who is in and who is out. We get to be the deputy for Jesus or the deputy for the world. Sacrifice means we get to determine the terms of the contract. And mercy means that Jesus has torn the contract up. Sacrifice means we get to decide what we put on the altar. And mercy means that Jesus has already put himself there. So we have a natural inclination to resist rest. We like to stick to things that we can manage well, right? Those that offer some predictability in an unpredictable world. We know how to manage our Facebook profiles or how to overachieve at work. We know how to get our kids into the right school. We know what working hard means, right? But rest, rest could mean anything. Rest is surrender. Rest means being quiet. Rest means hearing that still small voice. It might mean freedom from ourselves. It might mean being bored. And there is nothing scarier these days than being bored. 
But this sense of somehow improving upon or earning rest is in our sin-sick DNA. If you don't take anything else away from listening to me sort of yammer on at you this morning, I want to express to you that Jesus truly is the balm in Gilead that saves us from ourselves, and we are to rest in that. 1 John um, chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation is a word that means appeasement or soothing, right? That is to say, Jesus is the soothing of our sins for the sins of the whole world. So that's the deal, folks. Like, I'm not here to tell you to enter into a spiritual partnership with God or to preach at you to keep up your end of a ridiculous celestial bargain. I'm not telling you to name it and claim it, right? I'm here to tell you that we bring 100% of nothing to the table. That's how this works. I'm here to tell you that God seeks mercy and not sacrifice, that God gives us a merciful rest in what he has done. God took the check before the waiter could even put the bill on the table, and then he just walked around and bought the whole bar around, right? That's how this works. So what does it mean to serve a God who desires mercy and not sacrifice? So Ephesians chapter 2 But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith And this is not from yourselves, it is from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we hear from St. Paul that this grace is not from ourselves, right? That it is a gift from God, and that no one can boast. I feel like like St. Paul here is telling us, like, give it up all you deputies for Jesus, and you like hashtag world changers out there, right? This isn't on you anymore. Jesus desires a merciful rest and not a workload of sacrifice. When Jesus is the ruler of rest, the Lord of the Sabbath, as he calls himself in Matthew, then I truly believe that anything could happen. So what would happen if we just stopped, right? What would happen if we just rested? What would happen if we held up the white flag of selfhood and said, I surrender, So I want to revisit those three examples I used in the first talk. Um, So I want to talk about husbands who cannot seem to go on vacations, um, mothers who want to Zumba hours after giving birth, and Zumba is like um, an exercise class, if you guys don't know, and uh, cancer patients who feel unproductive. Okay. So what would happen if these people, and since these people are you and me, what would happen if we just found our rest in Jesus? So um, let's start with my husband. That's like my favorite sentence I've ever said. Let's start with talking about my husband. Um, No, I'm kidding. Let's start with talking about hardworking men in general, right? Uh, Men who work all the time and find uh, that they have to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders, they might actually feel better when they've spent more time with their families or when they've spent more time alone. 
they may be able to remember that they don't have to courageously carry their families and their workplaces on their shoulders. <coughs> and here's an interesting thing about this conversation that's um, come new to me and has reframed the way I see my husband, so I'm going to share it with you. It's a little bit of Brene Brown, and there's a little bit of language, so heads up, grown folks, okay? So I actually think wives need to be reminded of this about our husbands, I think we continue to expect them to carry the world on their shoulders. Um, we need to remember that the men in our lives are allowed rest in Jesus. So Brene Brown uh, has her PhD in social work, and she's done some incredible research in the area of um, men and vulnerability. Um, so she has this great book, Daring Greatly, and she um, talked about how we women want men to open up, right, and to be vulnerable and to not carry the world on their shoulders. But the moment they do, the moment they head towards a merciful rest in Jesus, right, sometimes we women have a tendency to freak out. So she wrote about men in her research. She said, I was not prepared to hear over and over from men how the women, the mothers, sisters, girlfriends, and wives in their lives are constantly criticizing them for not being open and vulnerable and intimate, all the while they are standing in front of that cramped wizard closet where their men are huddled inside, <coughs> adjusting the curtain, making sure no one sees in and no one gets out. I was like, oh, man. And then she says, there was a moment when I was driving home from an interview with a small group of men, and she thought, holy shit, I am the patriarchy. I was like, what? Okay, men need to hear that they are enough and they need to be allowed to find rest in that. They need to know that they are not alone in what Brene Brown calls the cramped wizard closet of their existence, trying to hold their entire family and professional structure together. They need to be allowed to admit brokenness because they need to rest. Men need to know that they are enough because Jesus is enough, and not because they have worked an 80-hour work week and earned an enoughness badge. So let's talk a bit about those new mothers for a moment. What would happen if we rested in Jesus? So mothers who simply rested after childbirth may be able to take in the enormity of what has just happened to their hearts and their bodies. They may give themselves a moment to realize that birth is one of those very unusual moments in life when the possibility of birth meets the possibility of death, right? We forget that birth is still scary. It is. I worked at a hospital. It's still very scary. And maybe if we rested after, child, after childbirth, we would give Almighty God thanks for bringing us through safely, right, with this new life in our hands, because that is an enormous thing that is happening to us and to our families. So even my third category, cancer patients, when they rest, may face the unrelenting realization that death is inevitable. And for some of them, this, this may actually be good news in a world that denies that Jesus is our final resting place. So my friend who I talked about earlier, the one who said she felt unproductive because she didn't have a cancer blog, said something really, really amazing to me that day. She said, 
Everyone keeps telling me how brave I am for doing chemo. And all I want to say is, really? It's chemo or hospice. Is that brave? Maybe the ones who go to hospice are brave, not me. I loved that sentence. It was like crazy to hear her say that out loud. Maybe the ones who go to hospice are brave. It was such a beautiful moment of facing the truth, (coughs) the truth that was hers, her reality that death was inevitable, that death will happen, that Jesus will welcome us home, and that there is rest to be found there. So maybe you don't see yourself in any of these examples, dad, mom, or someone who's dealt with a major illness. But regardless of who you are and what you carry, my point here is that mercy is our inroad for rest, right? Jesus' mercy is our access point. Recognizing what God's mercy is and who we are in the midst of it is the only white flag worth holding, And while this may sound like a lovely sentiment, I can assure you it is not just a lovely sentiment. God does not demand sacrifice. He does not ask for more work or higher moral standards. He just wants us to know his mercy. He wants to love us because he died for us. And he wants us to rest in that. So I'm going to begin to end this talk by addressing what I want to call the anxiety elephant in the room. I think that the theological conversation around rest is not super different from the theological conversation around grace. So people often worry that if we say God's grace is freely given, that we don't have to earn it, then people will just haul off sinning right and left, right? I actually have a women's Bible study I lead at my husband's church, and last week a woman was like, but like, does this just mean, like, it's just, like, it's just, and I was like, yeah. It's just that good. It's just that amazing. And it just keeps, I mean, it's like crazy talk, I know, but like that's why people keep showing up at church. So, um, so we worry if we rest in what God has done, then we will all turn into lazy people, right? That's always the fear. So our lives will be filled with hammocks um, and prayer and um, books, which sounds super sinful. Um, (laughs) really what we are afraid of when we see God's merciful rest for what it is is that we are giving up our sense of control we worry that if we aren't working to prove ourselves then we won't be crucial or necessary or loved which is a fundamental thing that human beings desire we won't find rest we cannot find rest until we recognize that we belong to Jesus and that we can rest in that. So I didn't know that you guys were going to have a mighty fortress is our God. Um, I think we're singing it tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, at, at worship. So, um, but we, we don't have to sing it. But, but um, I want to talk about it a little bit this morning because I did some research about it. It's my favorite hymn. Um, I like to sing it and feel super Protestant-y. Um, most people are really gets into that. So... Um, But I think I want to talk about it with you a little bit to end today because it's kind of Martin Luther's Bible study on that Matthew passage we started with. It's really interesting. So I'm going to read you the verses that we're probably going to be singing this weekend. Um, 
So you guys probably know, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. I love the the word work there. I think it's really important to pay attention to how the devil is aligned with work there. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal, right? We cannot overcome the devil on our own. So the second verse, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? In other words, our work and our efforts would be losing, right? Will be our end. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, right? There it is, Lord of the Sabbath is his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. So as much as I love those lyrics that we always sing in church, I want to remind you today that they were actually written in German. So there's a couple of alternative translations for this song, Um, and there's a beautiful one that I think gets used uh, maybe more often, I don't think I'm wrong about this, in Lutheran churches, and it points directly to the passage we read in Matthew. So, with might of ours cannot be done, soon were our loss affected. But for us fights, I love this, capital V, capital O, the valiant one, whom God himself elected. Ask ye, who is this? Jesus Christ, it is, of Sabbath Lord, and there's none other God. He holds the field forever, right? It's a direct... It takes us right back to that gospel. Jesus is walking in the field with his disciples, and he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. So I'd started by talking about a spiritual battle between myself and the right Reverend Joel Olstein. But in all seriousness, there is a spiritual battle afoot for us, and it is for our very souls, and it has already been won. The devil will tell us that work and striving, and control, and power will save us, will give us relief. And the devil has always been about this work, and always will be. But it is the Lord of rest, the God of mercy, who has come to save us from the burdens of this world. He is changeless in his grace, abounding in steadfast love, and calls us to rest in his place, as Lord of the Sabbath, because as we hear this morning, he holds the field forever. And I hope that we can take rest in that. So let's do a quick prayer together. Lord God, we give you thanks for this beloved community. We give you thanks for the care and concern that they have for one another. And we give you thanks because we know that this great love that they share comes from you. Lord God, we pray for rest this weekend. Rest in what you have done. Rest in the fact that we can do nothing. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be among us in our fellowship, in our speech, in our singing. And we're just so grateful, Lord. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
too big a topic, but could you talk about the famous scripture that says God requires success, not sacrifice? The idea that success is really what we need aim for. Um, so here's, here's where I go with those kinds of scriptures. Um, I think we have to think about, huh? Yeah, I think, I think we have to, yeah, I should say like popular scripture. I think, so he was saying what, I should repeat, he's saying like what do we, um, what do we make of it when people say the sort of the platitude God requires, I've never heard this before. I, I just made it up. Oh, you did. Okay. You just, he just made it up. That's what we're doing. <laughs> awesome. So say it again. Uh, the idea in America that God requires success, not sacrifice. God requires success and not sacrifice. So, um, gosh, that's a great question. So that's like two different things to me. Um, in thinking about success, I mean... <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated. I don't know if you guys have, have watched this sort of unfold in the New York Times, but there's been one article after another about these suicide pockets that are happening with people in their 20s because we have this thing drilled into them. And they're like the kids who got everything in life, the kids who went to the good schools, the kids, you know, who were told that if they did all these things they were going to be successful at 25 and they were going to have everything that they needed. And then they get to 25 and they have everything they need and they're super empty. And so I think that kind of stuff is really destructive. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely a sentiment in America that, that we don't think, I mean, people don't sacrifice, right? Like, um, I hate to throw my generation under the bus, but I'm always astonished when I think about when my grandmothers went through World War II, right, how, like, people are gathering, people gathered metal, people, everything was rationed and stuff, and, like, we're at war, and we're just, like, I'm just, like, going on with my life, get my Starbucks, like, and how there's not a sense of sacrifice, right? I think Christianity gives us a real answer to that. Um, you know, the, the passage I always think about is, always think about, is we love because he first loved us. So I think when we talk about sacrifice and we think, well, I've got to do this on my own and I've got to sacrifice, that makes me tired just like everything else does. But when I take a moment um, to consider what God has done on my behalf and how much God loves me, um, I kind of get this like ocean of gratitude and I'm able to think more clearly about maybe about sacrifice or about um, working with people who are poor or whatever. I mean, I, so I don't know. Did I answer your question? <clears throat> Somewhat along the same line. I'm, I'm retired now, and I'm you know, totally out of the stress. But I've, when I was working, I had discussed this many times with my pastors. In, in a real world, if you're not your own boss, mm -hmm. even in a Christian university, you were told to be successful. You must publish. You must be successful. Right. Sure. And you have no choice. Right. And I said, you know, there, there's that inherent conflict. Yeah. There. Yeah. How, how do you deal with it? So, so my the way I have to deal with it is throw in the towel and quit and retire. Mm, that's so painful. Yeah. Well, it's not painful. It's great. Good. <laughs> good. Good. I'm glad. That's good. Um, you should all retire. That's the answer. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's hard because what we hear sometimes in church is not what we um, is not what we hear in the world, right? We hear mercy and rest, and then in the world we hear work, 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 work. Yeah, it comes from a lot. It comes from the dean. It comes from the mm-hmm. provost. It comes from president. Mm-hmm. We have uh, more students. Like, uh, we've got to be successful. So we have got to make a name for yourself in your field. I mean, you have no choice. Yeah, that's really hard. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't really have an answer for that. I mean, I, you know, it, that's, I was talking with somebody earlier. I think it was, was it Adam, his wife? I was, I just heard about a priest who shall go nameless in a church that shall go nameless that is nowhere in Texas who did a baptism for a baby. And literally, like, almost as he's baptizing the baby, he's like, if you had any idea what this baby's going to go through because they're being baptized, you would run away kicking and screaming. And often, I think, in churches, we get this notion of, like, Everything out there is hard, and you're going to come in here, it's going to be hard too. You know what I mean? Like, we feel like we just should join in that culture. And um, I find that appalling, right? We take our consolation in Christ. And so, um, yeah, I don't really have an answer for you. I just think that that's, that's the good news in church for me, is that I get to come and hear that, like, I'm not enough, and that's okay, right? Because Jesus says. So, but I hope that doesn't feel like a platitude. I'm always... I hate when I'm like, well, it's Jesus, you know, and people are like, oh, I have to nod to that, you know what I mean? Like, because it's complicated and hard. Does anybody have any other? Hey. Hey, Sarah. Um, really enjoyed what you've been talking about and that Thanks. phrase you said about the show, the phrase before. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I want to hear. Reminds me of that Thomas Merton quote about busyness being violence on the soul mm. and how there's, a, there's an innate pressure that either comes from within or in the circles we run in where you've got to keep a number of plates spinning. Mm-hmm. If people ask you how you're busy, it's like the best answer. Yeah. Because it means life's really good. For yeah. You. Yeah. What's a, That's crazy. What's a good word through what you're speaking to to that aspect of rest? That's not necessarily proving something that you swept That's not necessarily what? Not necessarily that you're earning or proving something so that you're swept up in this I'm not. Could you repeat the question? Because it was awesome, everything you said. But I'm like, speak to the culture of busyness. Speak to the culture of busyness, right? So the best uh, David Zoll's book, uh, Law and Gospel, has a whole part about. I mean, I wish I could just read that to you because it's so great about being busy. And I love what you said about busy is like the right answer to have. Like we're super busy. Um, what, I, what fascinates me about that is it's usually like we're super busy and then it's like no vulnerability, right? It's not like we're super busy and like, oh my gosh, it's like really hard and we're running in different directions. It's like we're super busy, you know, so-and-so's got soccer practice and so-and-so's working all the time and everything's good. And as a priest's wife, when I get asked this question, sometimes it feels very complicated when parishioners ask me this, right? Because I feel like I'm supposed to be like, everything's great, we're really busy, you know? And instead I'm like, why is my kid in Ninja Turtles? t-shirt no one ate breakfast you know and so sometimes I think the best thing we can do is actually be vulnerable in those moments because everyone is busy and so I think for me there's I don't know there's some rest and especially in talking to clergy colleagues but I imagine for you all it's colleagues in other arenas or fellow Christians in this church to realize like hey like this isn't fun running around everywhere and 
And I have friends who stepped out of that stream. You may have those people in your life, like, who do this whole, like, voluntary simplicity thing, and they've cleaned out their house, and maybe their kids are homeschooled, which is cool. And they, you know, they, but I, I, I don't judge that. I really think that's people being like, oh, my gosh, this is too much. We're going to find a way out. You know what I mean? So that's not an option in my life, but I see why they do that. Does that answer your question? Yeah, okay. What's, what's the line? What's the limit on the rest? Um, so that's a, that I, lo- I love that you watch a lot of TV and read a lot. Um, I certainly have had my own season of doing that when I've uh, been pregnant, and it's awesome. Um, I know all of the Housewives uh, stuff from Bravo, so if you want to chat about that with me later, that's what I watched. Um, you know, I think physical rest is really important, and I think... Um, I think taking a break from things is really important. But I think the kind of rest that we're hearing about here is maybe rest from ourselves. Um, I think the rest we hear about in the gospel is rest from, um, yeah, from the roles and the expectations that we feel like we have to live up to. So um, I'm definitely not going to say there's anything wrong with you laying around and watching TV and reading books. I'm just not because, like... (laughs) We need at least, like, one person who does that in the whole world. Um, so I'm fine with it. But, like, that would, I would just say the rest is a bit, you know, it's about a bit more than that. Um, it's just different. So, yeah. Maybe. Hey. It's probably pretty obvious, and my husband sometimes reminds me that I have a tendency to state the obvious. Hmm. But I think that we don't, we, we're not able to rest until we know who we are in Christ. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And once we know who we are in Christ, mm-hmm. then we can rest. Mm-hmm. I think that's so true. Yeah. Paula said she thinks that we, when we know who we are in Christ, then we can rest. And I think that's, I think that's really true. And I don't, you know, I grew up, um, both my parents grew up Southern Baptist, so I grew up around a lot of Southern Baptists. And, you know, there's kind of this expectation with baptism in the Southern Baptist Church that you say, like, I accept Christ, and I, you know, and I know, and for some people, that is that moment, and that's great, but for me, that moment didn't happen until I was in seminary, so I think that um, sometimes our lives kind of have to be pulled apart before we're like, oh, this is what's here, you know, this is, I was talking to um, a parishioner the other day on the phone, and she is going through a really terrible illness, and, you know, I kind of got <coughs> mad on her behalf, I was like, these hospitals, and these doctors, and my... And she was super calm. She's just like, yeah, but all I have at the end of the day is Jesus anyway. And I was like, thank you for reminding me. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's like, just to keep coming back to that. Yeah. Hey. 
So given that opting out is an option for you, mm -hmm. it's not an option for us. Right. We all have small children. Right. What is the practical implication of what you're saying in your life? Do you do, you do two sports instead of three? Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're like asking me what I wanted to avoid. Um, I mean, I could tell you stuff, but then I don't want everybody else in the room to be like, we do that all the time. Um, you know, I mean, we don't, so we haven't even started sports. Our kid really does take blanket dancing very seriously, um, as is his sister. Um, you know, they don't use iPads. We don't watch TV. Like, we kind of do. So, I mean, we in those ways that we have a choice to pull apart from culture, we pull apart from culture. But, like, but like all their friends do, and they're super great. So, like, it's fine. You know, but, I mean, that's just, that's, like, for my sanity more than for anything else. But, yeah, I mean, I, you have to find your own way to carve out. I mean, I, I really think that we have this idea about rest in church culture that, like, we're going to have a whole day to pray. Well, we're not going to have that, you know. We're going to have five to ten minutes to be quiet, to be with God, to be grateful in what we have, to be sad in what we've experienced, whatever that is. And that is, that's huge if you get that, you know. For me, that's huge. So, yeah. Sure. I think this process of, of us trying to figure out rest, Paul said, apart from Christ, when she said that, I was thinking about John 15, where he says, you know, attempting to do anything apart from the ground, I'm lying with branches, he abides in me, and I Yeah. You know, a, a, a new set of three things to do, or whatever it is, what's the next person, or whatever. So, why would we try to do that apart from Him in a very practical way on a daily basis, you know, hour by hour? <coughs> yeah, I think that's really helpful. It's a gift. It's like everything else, it's a gift. Mm -hmm. The ability to rest is a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the ability to rest is a gift. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you think it's, I mean, I like what Don had to say that, that it's not Franklin Covey, mm -hmm. um, but but what Jen was talking about, how obvious is the tyranny of business on people's lives? I mean, that, that seems to me to be kind of the litmus of when you're like, why are we doing this? Right. Um, you know, how how obvious is that to people, most people, that they're just kind of actually caught up in the riptide of business? Oh, I think it's super obvious. I mean, I think it's, well, I think it's super obvious to women. I mean, that's definitely where my brain is. So, like, if you look at mom blogs, I'm, I don't read them because I can't, but, like, but they, their titles are terrifying. Like, the top three mom blogs, let me see if I can remember this. I know I'll remember two of them. Scary Mommy is one of them. That's the name of the blog where people go to get advice about their children. It's called Scary Mommy, right? What? And then there was one called, oh, my gosh, it was so good, Mama's... It was like mama's going crazy. It was some like mama's, because I was like, I could write for them, you know, but, but like I think people know that they're like everything is falling apart, like, and that they are too busy and that they are unhappy and like, um, I think there's one called like midnight milkers or something. Yeah. It's all about like just being up all night. Yeah. 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 <laughs> something's weird. <laughs> Midnight milkers, you heard it here first, people. <laughs> Called what? Oh, McRib 15, that's true, there is a new one, yeah. 
Yeah, it's um, yeah. I, I think people know that they can't. They're not holding it all together. And I mean, there's a whole thing for me and mom culture. I'm always thinking about where you're either really, really, you're holding everything together. Your kids are always dressed in white, and they're like running through a field, and you're on Instagram taking pictures of it. Or there's like this other version of it, which if any of you, God, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. If any of you have ever watched Housewives of Atlanta, there is a woman on there named Kim Zolziak who has a show called Tardy for the Party, and she is like. She's just like, I woke up drunk. Like, that's like her way of mothering. You know what I mean? She's always like, I woke up drunk. And like, I feel like either end of this is totally graceless and is totally without Jesus and is 100% without rest. But that's what people are given now in this country. Like, those are the answers. Either you have to pull it all together or you're just drinking vodka at noon. Did you have a question? I, I like what you say a little bit about Brene Brown and vulnerability. Yeah. Rest. To get there, you have to be vulnerable and it's painful. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think about we, we, our children, we go to dinner, we're kind of, we just, they get bad news when they're on electronic devices, so it's, it's for us that we don't. But it's kind of painful because mm-hmm. they have to sit there and act terrible and embarrassed. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think, I think it's the same thing with us, like, it's kind of painful to be vulnerable and mm-hmm. to be at rest because it's hard. That's so interesting. So. That's so great. It's painful to be vulnerable and at rest. I love that. Yeah. Two final questions. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, I feel like everybody's um, how much they can handle is different. Everything. Mm. Like, sometimes I have someone look at the meditation while I'm doing it, and recently, and my son like does not want to go to golf. I'm like, why? Why, why am I not even taking him? Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to go. Um, and sometimes the stillness is the only time that Jesus can actually show you mm. where He wants you to be. And if you're so busy. You're not even giving an opportunity to open doors for you because there's no room for it. There's so much noise. Yeah, I love that. I love that. We had one more. I'll take yours and then we should be done. I'm just going to ask you how you would define rest. And so someone, you know, would know when they would So I would define rest in terms of God's mercy. So I don't, I mean, it, for me, merciful rest is sort of what I think about when I think about rest. And I think about truly, um, truly resting in what God has done and not feeling like I have to somehow earn that. I mean, for me, that is rest. And knowing that provides enormous relief. I mean, I wasn't kidding when I said that when I went to Mockingbird, it changed my life. And what changed my life is a guy got up and he said three things. He talked about them and nuanced them, but he said, um, he said, uh, Christians are people. No, people are bad. Christians are people. Christians are bad. And I was like, that's a relief. You know what I mean? Because then he talked about mercy in light of that. Like if we can just accept who we are, our sins, our faults, our complications, um, and bring them to the cross, then that's how they're redeemed. That's how we find rest. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you.